Hello, I'm Michael Chartier, our Senior Director of State Relations, and welcome to another EdChoice Chat. On the phone with us is Jason Bedrick, who is our Director of Policy here at EdChoice, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what's been going on in the states uh, across the country. Specifically, it's going to be a look back, what happened in January, and a little bit of what we look forward to in February. All right. Well, Jason, uh, you being the director of policy, you have uh, you know obviously a lot of, a lot on your plate. Uh, not only overseeing the foundation's views on the policy landscape out there in the country, but also you have a handful of states that you cover for us. So, would you want to jump in and tell us a little bit about maybe what's going on in those states, in uh, what had gone on in those states in January, and maybe some things you think might happen in February? And I think you know the best place to start is a state where. You actually got to push the uh, the buttons in terms of voting for legislation. So would you like to start with uh, New Hampshire and tell us a little bit about what you think is going on out there? Well, New Hampshire is uh, moving forward right now with an education savings account bill. Back in 2012, New Hampshire adopted an education tax credit uh, that's been modified a few times. It's, it's now the most versatile of all the tax credit bills because it almost functions like a tax credit funded ESA, except that the funds can't be rolled over from year to year. But you can use the scholarship funds for tutoring, uh, textbooks, homeschool curricula, and so on and so forth, in addition to private school tuition. Uh, but right now, they're actually looking to implement a, a an ESA that's publicly funded. The Senate passed the bill, SB 193, last year. Uh, in the Senate version, it was universal. Uh, but the House Education Committee sort of scaled down the bill over the break. Uh, it's now for students whose families earn up to 300% of the federal poverty line, uh, for students that were assigned to low-performing schools, students who have uh, special needs, you know, like those with an IEP, uh, as well as those that had applied to a scholarship organization and didn't get a scholarship or applied to a charter school and didn't get a charter. Uh, so probably more more than half of the students would be eligible to participate in the ESA. Uh, in January, the full House passed the bill, uh, 184 to 162, uh, but it still has to go to a second committee. So right now it is in the Finance Committee. There's been a series of hearings and work sessions, and uh, we're hoping to hear soon uh, what the committee intends to do with the bill. Uh, but no matter what they recommend, uh, in New Hampshire, it's interesting, committees don't have the power to kill bills. Uh, the, all they can do is recommend passage or recommend that it's amended or recommended that uh, the House kill it. And ultimately, every bill gets an up or down vote in the House. So I'm expecting that uh, within the next month or so, it will be back in front of the full House uh, for another vote before hopefully getting a concurrence with the Senate and moving on to the governor's desk. Thanks, Jason. That was actually a really good update there. Uh, just, I, you know, I had a couple of questions. Obviously, New Hampshire is an interesting place. Uh, you said the vote was 184 to 162. Those are some big numbers. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how large the uh, New Hampshire House is and, and how maybe difficult it is to understand and count votes in that chamber? Yes, Michael. Actually, the New Hampshire legislature is the largest state legislature in the country. Uh, to give a sense of perspective, there are 400 members of the New Hampshire House, and the second largest legislative chamber is the Pennsylvania House with 200 members. Uh, so, of course, it is a, a 
quite difficult to, to accomplish anything in the chamber with uh, of that size. Uh, so it truly is like herding cats. But uh, there was a great deal of support for the bill in the House. Uh, yeah, 20 vote margin, 22 vote margin is uh, pretty healthy. And I'm confident that the House is going to pass something and get it to the governor's desk. I like hearing that optimism. You said a couple other things, and you know, I, some of us, uh, you know, obviously you being a former legislator and some of us that have worked in government before, we understand uh, a little bit about the uh, dark arts, as I think some people have called it. So you said uh, something about a concurrence vote. Would you tell listeners what a concurrence vote is and what that means and how that process works? Yeah, that would be the, the easiest process. Uh, if, if the if one chamber passes a bill in a different form than the other chamber, uh, then the originating chamber has the option either to concur with the second chamber or to ask for a committee of conference, in which case uh, the two chambers would send representatives and try to hammer out some sort of uh, compromise. Thanks very much for that discussion. I know that sometimes we throw around some of these terms of art, and sometimes I think it's hard for people to understand what those things are. So thank you for that uh, that wonderful explanation. And obviously in the context of what's happening out there. I guess to move on to another state, Mississippi was looking at a broad-based education savings account bill there. And I saw the recently that that was not brought up for a vote. Could you tell the listeners here essentially you know, what that means and how far it might have made it through the process and what happens now uh, that it didn't receive a vote? This year just wasn't the year for Mississippi. They appear to have had the votes in the Senate, but the, the president of the Senate, which is the lieutenant governor, decided not to bring it up for a vote before time expired because it appeared that they did not have the votes to pass it in the House. Uh, this year was a, just a very difficult year in terms of timing. Uh, they were already trying to modify their public education funding formula, which is a very heavy lift. It's a very, very complicated process. And so I guess some members of the House thought that uh, they didn't want to do too much in terms of reform in one year and that uh, they were going to go with the funding formula reforms and, and not adopt the ESA reforms. But I will say uh, the interesting thing in the, in the press after the fact uh, was that the, the leaders of both chambers were sort of pointing fingers at each other and saying, no, it wasn't me, it was you, no, it wasn't me, it was you. Uh, so that, that seems to indicate at least that they felt that not supporting school choice uh, would have, they would have to pay a political price for opposing school choice. And I think, I think that, that in itself is a very encouraging sign I know that the activists on the ground uh, said that they're not giving up for a moment. Uh, there are still some opportunities to expand the existing education savings account, which right now only serves students with special needs, uh, but has a wait list. It doesn't even serve all the students who want to participate in it. So, it, you know, there might be some opportunities to increase the funding that's available for the existing program and at least get some of those students off the wait list and into the schools that work best for them. But you know, disappointing, but they made a lot of progress, and, and I would say that the long-term outlook is very good. So, Jason, you mentioned that the uh, bill was dead, and then you mentioned that there's still some opportunities. How can a bill be dead, and how could you have a chance to change some things if the legislation is dead? Could you walk our listeners through how that generally might happen? 
Well, the, the ESA bill is dead, and that, that can't be brought back because uh, time has expired. But there are still some other bills that are live, uh, particularly the, the funding reform bill, the education funding reform bill, that uh, could be modified uh, to uh, clarify the, the funding for the ESA program and to fully fund all of the students that uh, want to participate in it. So basically what you're saying is even though the ESA bill is dead, there can be other bills that aren't dead yet that can be amended. Uh, is that correct? Yes. And you said that time has expired. Could you talk a little bit about why they have timelines in the legislatures? Why not just get rid of that if this is causing such consternation for people? I mean, that's the case in uh, every legislature that, that I'm aware of. Okay, you know, you've got a... a, a... The session only lasts so long. You have to make sure that uh, bills go from one chamber to the other chamber before a certain deadline uh, so that you know you can make sure that the legislature functions properly. So every, every legislature has some sort of deadline, and the, de the deadline has passed in Mississippi. So just to keep things moving along, I guess, is what you're kind of saying, just so that we don't bog down the legislature with every single bill that isn't moving? Right. I mean, usually you've got two-year terms, uh, and you know you've got often, depending on the legislature, some legislatures meet every year, some meet uh, every other year. But you know, you've only got a limited amount of time to make something happen. So unless a bill uh, has the votes to pass, you know, they often just let bills die without uh, coming to a vote, depending on the legislature. Got it. That makes perfect sense. Well, you know, I'll uh, take the lead here then on some of my states that I cover. I know based off of that, you know, Mississippi uh, ran out of time to uh, pass their legislation. But just this very week, Iowa has introduced their version of an education savings account bill. And that currently sits inside an education subcommittee in the House. And what that means is that it is a uh, obviously a subsection of the education committee. There's five members on this particular subcommittee. And this subcommittee will kind of look through various pieces of legislation and determine which ones will make it in front of the full committee and which ones won't. It's sort of a weeding out process. So, you know, kind of Jason's point, you know, each one of these states is just a little bit different. And it's funny, Mississippi's already running into uh, their time clock, but Iowa is still introducing ESA bills. So it's kind of fun for us to be able to sit back and watch these different states and, and how the legislature interacts with one another. And also, I think, I guess the other big state that I'm watching is West Virginia. They likewise introduced an ESA bill into the House Education Committee there. We're waiting on committee action in West Virginia. They likewise have a time clock, uh, like Mississippi does, and that was going to expire in a little over a week now. We'll have a little over a week to see if West Virginia can get their ESA bill out of their first chamber and see if they can pass that over. So it's got to get out of the... Uh, the Education Committee right now before it continues on its process. That's another state for us to watch. And I guess kicking it back to you, Jason, since I had the, I'm the moderator and I have the easy job uh, and I don't have to talk as much, I'm going to kick it back to you with a sort of one follow-up question. Obviously, you oversee a wide variety of states. Which state do you think you're following closest and which one is most interesting for you in whatever way you'd want to decide that? You know, that's, that's hard to pick. Uh, I could say that uh, I think of the, of the remaining states, uh, the one that I think is most likely to see action is Florida. Florida is trying to expand all of its existing programs, uh, you know, tax credit, scholarship program, education savings account. Uh, and they're also trying to uh, introduce a, a new tax credit scholarship 
for students who were victims of bullying or abuse. Uh, so that would be the first, uh, the first, really the first of its kind in the country that specifically makes uh, students who are victims of, of uh, bullying or abuse eligible. Although, uh, you know, obviously, uh, bullying victims around the country have, have benefited tremendously uh, from being able to uh, escape an environment where the school is either unable or unwilling to address a bullying problem. And, uh, you know, so students uh, really, it, it, it's a, an escape hatch for them to, to find a school that uh, protects their safety and uh, provides a, a loving and, and more nurturing environment. So Florida, I think, is, is that that's likely to pass. That's already been moving uh, quickly through uh, both chambers. Uh, also in Missouri, uh, there is a tax credit-funded education savings account bill that has already passed out of the government reform committee and is headed to the full house. Uh, that's something that uh, certainly I'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, and then uh, Wisconsin has uh, an education savings account that would be the first in the nation for low-income students who are gifted, or I, I believe they define that as being in the top 5 or 10% uh, on statewide tests, and there's a few other ways to qualify for that. But that would be the first program in the country that is trying to provide opportunities, uh, again, to low-income students that uh, are uh, ahead of their peers on average academically. Uh, that's, that's an interesting thing to watch. And then just a few other states as well where uh, – you know, you have some dark horses that uh, that, that might surprise us, but uh, Nebraska is looking at a tax credit scholarship, as is Kentucky, uh, and then in Pennsylvania and in Virginia, both states, again, probably not likely, but they're, both states are looking at education savings account bills. Um, so lots of states to cover, and there are many, many other states uh, out there that have introduced some sort of school choice bill. Uh, those are the ones that identified as dark horses that, that might have a chance of, uh, if not necessarily being signed into law, uh, but, uh, you know, passing one or both chambers and, and uh, moving along. So uh, certainly a lot of action this year when it comes to educational choice. Well, Jason, I think that was a great update, and we wouldn't want to give away too many of our secrets because people wouldn't want to come back and listen to these follow-up podcasts. So. Obviously, we're pretty early into these sessions, so I think we'll have more and exciting stuff to talk about as we move along. So uh, thank you for that quick update, and we will uh, hopefully tease some people to come back next month as we do our look back into February and our look forward into March. So I do want to say uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us for another EdChoice Chat. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more of our coverage of school choice and educational choice research, policy discussions and anything else we happen to talk about. So until next time, everybody out there, take care, and please visit us on our website at edchoice.org. Thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your week.